Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Let's Talk Low Vision, brought to you by the Council of Citizens of Low Vision International. My name is Dr. Bill Takesta, and this evening, I'm very, very proud to announce that we have Dr. Kent Small. He is a vitreal retinal surgeon here in Los Angeles, California, and he was previously the chief of the retina division at the Joel Stein Eye Institute. He's a graduate of Duke University, and he also is the founder of the Macula and Retina Institute. So thank you very, very much for your attendance this evening, Dr. Small. Well, thank you for the invite, Bill. You know, we've had you on in the past, and uh, you were so very well received. And unfortunately, we also had a second guest this evening, and her name was uh, Natalie Nankin. And unfortunately, she developed a kidney infection, and she's not going to be able to join us this evening, but she did promise that she will be back to talk to us even more about diabetes and nutrition as well. Hmm. But, uh, you know, I think that one of the things that we are really becoming more and more aware of, Dr. Small, is the fact that we can listen to the radio, watch TV, we can look at newspapers, and virtually every place that we look, there are commercials that are talking about the importance of nutrition, vitamin supplements, minerals. Uh, even I see things where it says by drinking Japanese green tea from Okinawa, it could keep you young and, and healthy. So <laughs> I think tonight, you know, what we'd really like to do is to ask the expert yourself to, to tell us about what it is that we know in terms of the actual research about uh, vitamins, and I know that uh, there has been some recent research that has been published called the AREDS, and more recently the AREDS 2 study, and would you tell all of our, our listeners about that particular vitamin cocktail and uh, who it might be helpful for? Yes, the, the AREDS trial, which is uh, funded by the uh, National Eye Institute, NIH, your tax dollars working for you for a change rather than sitting on a shelf somewhere right now. Um, and, and just to put a plug in for the NEI, uh, you know, they're, they're hurting with all the cutbacks and stuff going on and grants are not getting funded and it's, uh, you know, it's a painful experience for a lot of people involved in, in research, particularly at NIH right now. But nonetheless, the, the AREDS trial is, is, uh, one of the, uh, 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 really shining uh, glory points of uh, research in vitamins and, and at the NIH. Um, AREDS-1, which, which we now call AREDS-1 trial, which is about a 15-year-old study, uh, was really one of the first prospective, randomized, multi-center clinical trials of vitamins that actually documented them to be statistically significantly beneficial. Um, there's lots of other anecdotal reports uh, that get published in a lot of anecdotal reports that just get remain as anecdotes and get kind of passed along. Um, but the AREDS uh, data set is one of the few really valuable data sets that has, has shown vitamins to be be valuable. Um, the the now old what we refer to as old AREDS one data it's still valid data, and it's basically vitamin C, um, <clears throat> vitamin C E, beta carotene and zinc and copper. And uh, that regimen alone in very specific doses was shown to slow the progression of age-related macular degeneration by 25% over a five to seven year period. And, and that data as they followed these patients over the years has, has continued to play out along that curve. And so it's still valuable. Um, along the way, uh, there was interest in some of the other carotenoids, uh, lutein, uh, zeaxanthine, and then in the um, poly, long-chain polyunsaturated fatty acids, the omega-3 fatty acids, uh, DHA and EPA. Um, and so the NEI wanted to interface these other uh, supplements with the original formula to see if there was any additional benefit that could be gained by adding uh, basically uh, zeaxanthine, lutein, and uh, omega-3 fatty acids to the regimen. And and that is really what the AREDS-2 uh, data set is all about, the AREDS-2 trial is all about. Um, how, 
where do you want me to go with this, Bill? There's all kinds of different directions we can take it. Yeah. Here. Well, you know, that's very, very interesting. And um, I guess that one of the questions is, what was the main reason that they wanted to substitute these other particular types of uh, supplements, such as the lutein, the zeaxanthine, for the beta-carotene? In the cocktail number two, the more recent one, they eliminated the beta-carotene, and they substituted it. Is that correct? That That is correct. The rationale being uh, primarily one of safety with smokers. Um, there had been previous data, uh, primarily from a couple of uh, studies at VA hospitals, and so therefore it was primarily men, but they, there had been previous studies that suggested that beta-carotene supplements may actually increase uh, a smoker's risk of developing lung cancer. <clears throat> and um, as more studies were coming out, that was looking more and more true. And in the AREDS data set, about half of those patients in the in the original AREDS trial were smokers. And um, and in the original AREDS one data set, you know, they found an increased risk for lung cancer. Um, and basically, they felt like the they weren't sure exactly how much good beta carotene was doing, and that it seemed to impart risk. In smokers, in non-smokers, it doesn't impart any risk. So they figured that one of the easiest things to eliminate from the AREDS one, if they had to eliminate one, would be would be the beta carotene. So in, they basically removed the beta carotene and in its place added um, lutein and zeaxanthine. There's also an issue or concern, not that this has been that well documented, but there's a concern that there may be some competitive binding between beta carotene and lutein zeaxanthine in the gut as far as absorption. Um, and Because uh, in the AREDS, too, they also got serum carotenoid levels, and they found that if when you took lutein and zeaxanthine, you, you achieved a moderately high level of carotenoids in the blood. And when you took beta-carotene, you, received, you uh, achieved a moderate level. And when you took the two together, your lutein-zeaxanthine levels in the blood actually decreased. So the thinking is, is that beta-carotene may actually competitively inhibit uh, the absorption of lutein zeaxanthine. Uh, my I'm not sure exactly how well the biochemistry on that's worked out, but that's sort of the thinking. So the elimination of beta-carotene in the AREDS-2 formula is primarily a safety concern about lung cancer in smokers. Now, what did they actually find from the AREDS-2 study? Was this new formulation that includes the lutein, the zeaxanthine, the omega-3s, uh, did they find that this new formula, was it as effective in slowing down the progression of uh, macular degeneration? Well, it depends on which... It, it, the, the design of AREDS-2 is an extremely complex uh, design. Um, I can imagine what is obviously de designed by a committee, obviously by a governmental committee. <laughs> um, I, although I, sh I should be careful, uh, several of the people that were on the committee are friends of mine too. But it, it's a very complex design. They have a primary random randomization and a secondary randomization. And in the primary randomization, they basically the the summation is is that uh, the addition of of lutein and zeaxanthine and um, Omega-3s was of no particular additional benefit. However, in the secondary randomization, which is really where the, the guts of the study and the, and the findings are, uh, showed that uh, adding lutein and zeaxanthine uh, to the AREDS-1 minus the beta-carotene does offer some beneficial effects, um, uh, up to about 10% more. So if AREDS-1 gave you 25% more protection, AREDS-2 would increase that up to a close to 35% protection. Uh, the omega-3 fatty acid effect, you know, this is all done by uh, hazard ratios. The, the addition of omega-3 fatty acids, uh, when you look at the bar graphs on the hazard ratios, did not reach the statistical significance, but you could see that there was a trend present So at this for, for beneficial time, effect. Hmm? Yeah, you know, for uh, this time... This particular study is really reporting that there is a beneficial effect of taking either the AREDS number one or AREDS number two cocktail 
if you do have moderate to severe macular degeneration. And is that uh, for both dry and wet macular degeneration? Yeah, yes, it is. Yeah, basically the, the endpoints were, uh, uh, you know, what percentage of patients could you save from developing advanced macular degeneration? And in the AREDS data set, they, de- they, design, they uh, define advanced macular degeneration as, uh, you know, poor vision. Uh, I can't remember, maybe 2160 or something in that neighborhood. Uh, but basically loss of central vision, and it could be loss of central vision by wet or geographic atrophy. And Dr. Small, when they talk about the benefits of, of these vitamin cocktails, are there meaning that this particular type of cocktail can prevent, can it prevent a person from developing macular degeneration? A lot of my patients are under the impression that these vitamins will prevent them from getting macular degeneration. A, yeah, AREDS 1 and AREDS 2 did not... Um basically does not address that question. Um, so from this data set, we don't know is the short answer. Um, you know, they did not, everybody that was enrolled in AREDS 1 and 2 had disease of some level of severity. So they did not test it in people who had, had no no disease at all. So we don't, the short answer is we don't know. Um, there is, uh, it's kind of morphs into there's a study called uh, WAX, W-A-C-S, uh, Women's Antioxidant Cardiovascular Study that was out of Harvard. It was published about three years ago, and has and Emily Chu, who is the mover, one of the mover and shakers in the AREDS trial at NEI, was also part of WAX, and she's presented the data on WAX, but it has not really taken off. Um, but WAX was looking at B6, B12, and folic acid in very high doses. And that study suggested that B6, B12, and folic acid may may be preventative. Um, it was th- th- that study was a very interesting study, and it actually uh, shows how the only studies that I'm aware of that vitamins have been shown to be of any scientifically significant benefit has been in macular degeneration, not in anti-aging or heart attack or stroke. In the women's antioxidant cardiovascular study. They basically put uh, 5,000 women in their 50s who had already had heart attack, stroke, uh, coronary bypass surgery, et cetera, that were already at very high risk for developing uh, future cardiovascular events, put them on high doses of B6, B12, and folic acid. Along the way, they got the bright idea to take fundus pictures on these patients, on these subjects. And um, five years later, analyzed the data and found that uh, B6, B12, and folic acid made absolutely no difference in cardiovascular risk factors and stroke and heart attack and death, and et cetera. But it did look like it, it, it served as possibly preventing macular degeneration. In other words, the women that were on these high doses had less, uh, fewer of them developed macular degeneration statistically significantly than those who were not. So perhaps there may be a AREDS 3 that will also include uh, the vitamin B6, B12, and folic acid. Have you heard of any rumors about that study developing? <laughs> uh, Emily Chu um, at, at Arvo this year when she gave the presentation of the AREDS2 data uh, specifically uh, commented that she does not think there'll be any more AREDS studies. They're, they're just too expensive. Oh, uh-huh. Now, what about for your patients who do have macular degeneration? Are you recommending uh, that they follow the AREDS2 Two formulation because it is safer and it does not include the beta carotene that can cause lung cancer in men who smoke. Uh, for my smoking patients, yes, I do. Uh, my patients, I would estimate maybe only ten percent of my patients are currently smoke or uh, recently smoke, i.e., within the last five years. Uh, so m- most of my patients, I feel fairly safe being on the beta carotene as well. And do you do you feel that there's any advantage uh, other than other than uh, the the risk of avoiding the risk of cancer among male smokers by using the second formula that has the lutein, the zeaxanthin, and the omega three? Do you think that there's any other benefits that you can see? Yeah, I mean, basically, if my patients are not smokers, I, I put them on a combination of wax. 
AREDS 1 and AREDS 2, which means they're getting the beta carotene as well as the lutein, zeaxanthine, and, um, and uh, omega-3 fatty acids. So what about a situation like that then? Are your patients then taking, uh, purchasing a separate bottle for each particular supplement as compared to using some of these combination ones such as the Bosch and Lom Preservision where they have it all in one or it's got the eye caps? How do, how do you best recommend that for your patients? Um, well, I think I, uh, for a patient to take all of these supplements individually would would be onerous. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, I do I do advise patients to take some type of combination uh, okay. vitamin. Although you have to be very careful because um, you don't want them. Sometimes, you know, basically, I usually tell my patients to bring in what they're taking. Let's look at it and review it. Uh, the major thing I don't want them to overdose on out of the list of uh, supplements is vitamin E. Uh, there's been a couple of studies that suggest that high doses of vitamin E, i.e. 400 international units, well, according to one study, 400 international units or more uh, increase the risk of sudden cardiac death. Um, so I'm very careful to make sure my patients aren't taking more than 400 international units of E. And it's really easy for the, for the uninformed public to do that. You know, they, they take... You know, they take one or two ICAFs, they take one or two Preservisions, the next thing they're taking, you know, 800, you know, 1,200 units of vitamin E. Um, So it's very important to try to, I try to simplify things as much as possible for my patients. Um, And up until, you know, recently there is no vitamin on the market that I was aware of that even had wax in it. Uh, The closest thing to it is a prenatal vitamin. and so I basically uh, got a company to put all this together for me, and I oh. think it makes it cheaper and easier for patients to do it that way. And what is the name of this company, and is is this something that one would order this online or telephone, or is this actually available in retail stores? Oh, um, no, it's, 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 um, uh, it's available in my office. You can call me. <laughs> we can oh, ship something uh-huh. to you. Uh, not available in any retail office. It doesn't even have a name right now, other than it's Dr. Small's formula. Uh, <laughs> hey, that's a good name. It's a good one. <laughs> well, it, it, I, it did have another name, but um, one of the other vitamin companies uh, said I was, was a trademark infringement name I was using, so I uh, I dropped that, and I'm working on trademarking a different name now. So, um, well, speaking you know, of. I- Speaking of which, Bosch and Loam is suing, uh, I think it's Vitamin Health, which makes Vidize, uh, because they're out marketing AREDS 2 specifically. Oh. So you gotta be careful with this stuff. Boy, boy. But you know that, I think that is so important because again, with so many of my patients that are trying to take the vitamin cocktail, sometimes they may forget, did I take my vitamin in the morning? And they'll take another one at lunch. Other times they have uh, additional bottles, and most bottles of vitamin E come in the uh, dosage of 400 IU, and as you said, more than 400 IU per day, it could be very, very dangerous to the heart. So I think it's very good that there's just one, uh, well, one tablet that has it all, and that I think all of you out there who do have macular degeneration and are looking for this vitamin cocktail you consistently take it at one time of the day, whether it's always at breakfast, always at lunch, or always at dinner, but do it consistently at that time. And Dr. Small, for your patients, do you strongly recommend that they do take it with a meal? Uh, I do, um, particularly uh, the standard AREDS-1 had high zinc in it, and occasionally I think it's the zinc that is more likely to upset their stomach. Um, and I think it's less likely to upset their stomach if they take it after, you know, on a, on a reasonably full stomach rather than yeah. an empty stomach. Now, what about uh, the family members, the children of, yeah. of a couple who does have the macular degeneration? And what, what's your recommendation to the children of a mom and a dad who have macular degeneration? Do you recommend that these children take these vitamins? Well, we know that having a uh, family history increases one's risk. 
Uh, we know from genetic studies that 70% of the phenotype of age-related macular degeneration is actually genetic, uh, which is much higher than we used to think. Um, most of the time, it's, you know, the son or daughter that's bringing the parent in, and the parent's in their 70s and 80s, so the children are in their 50s, sometimes 60s, and they're, they're approaching the age where they can uh, develop macular degeneration. I think it's important that even in their 50s that they get a dilated eye exam periodically to check and see if they have any drusen present, and certainly if, they, if there's any suggestion of, of drusen at all to get them started on, on the formula. Um, most of the time uh, with the children, um, I basically offer the option to them of starting these vitamins, telling them that we don't have good long-term scientific data that it will prevent it in them, but the data that we do have suggests that it might be beneficial. And, uh, you know, the vitamins are relatively cheap. They're well tolerated. They have low risk profile, profile as long as you're not a smoker with the beta carotene. And so I think it's reasonable for the children of, of my macular degeneration patients to take some type of A-reds type of vitamin. And you mentioned, Dr. Small, that if, if uh, you do see drusen in the eye on the macula, can you describe what is drusen and what, what does that mean? Does that necessarily mean that a person has macular degeneration or is going to get it? Uh, no, no, it doesn't. Uh, there are large numbers of people walking around that are asymptomatic with a few fine drusen. Uh, matter of fact, in the Beaver Dam Eye Study at University of Wisconsin, <clears throat> uh, they've done quite a bit of work looking at this because they've followed the 5,000 people in that town for about 25 years, I think now, and have been able to w watch and see who does develop macular degeneration, who doesn't. And uh, a lot of people have like, an occasional drusen and or just uh, some rare small drusen, and those people. I think are relatively low risk for developing macular degeneration later in life. Uh, but uh, if, if it were my uh, family member or my eye, I would have very little hesitation about going on to the vitamins. Yes, and also, you know, as I, I know that you always, uh, I stole this from you in one of your lectures, but uh, your, your top 10 things to do to protect your eyes, but if you do see any of that drusen, these folks have to stop smoking. Oh, smoking is huge. Yeah, smoking is a huge risk factor. And, uh, yeah, and it's one of the tougher ones to, to uh, beat. Now, you know, the AREDS study that uh, both AREDS 1, AREDS 2, uh, it's an uh, acronym for the Age-Related Eye Disease Study. Uh, what was the effect of these vitamin cocktails on cataracts? Because we know that oh. <laughs> cataracts are also associated with age and did the vitamins have any effect on the formation or slowing the formation of cataracts? Uh, no, it didn't. Yeah, AREDS, in the AREDS-1 trial, they looked at cataract formation as well, and they found no effect. And the AREDS-2 formula, they looked at cataract formation and found no effect on that either. And I know a lot of people, I know a lot of people who do take uh, herbs and supplements, and the, these things are, are claiming that it will prevent or slow the progression of cataracts, and there really just isn't any any type of proof that shows that vitamins will slow down the progression of cataracts. Uh, that that's uh, from this study data in the AREDS. That's true. Now I know that many other people who are on the line here they want to hear about how vitamins may help other types of conditions such as people who do have uh, retinitis pigmentosa. I think it might have been in the 19, 1990s or so. I remember there was a time that everybody was calling looking for vitamin A palmitate. They saw something on 2020 or 60 Minutes or something where it, it, it reported that vitamin A palmitate can help people with RP. What's What's the latest on that and have you heard of any any more recent studies on vitamin A palmitate for retinitis pigmentosa? Well, that that is, <clears throat> yeah, that's Elliot Burson's uh, uh, famous study uh, at Harvard, and uh, you're right, that was like 20, probably about 20 years ago, and Elliot uh, Burson was, was uh, among other, he, you know, he's an expert 
scientist and retinitis pigmentosa in many ways. And one of his fortes was in electrophysiology and measuring the electrical amplitudes of the rods and cones in the retina. And he had developed a technique of uh, being able to reliably quantitate very low levels of, of electrical activities of rods and cones in RP patients. And this is obviously very, very useful and important in RP patients because most of them have uh, an extinguished or flat rod ERG and sometimes a barely detectable cone ERG. And by using the, and he's one of the few people that's really perfected this, this, uh, quantitative, uh, technique of measuring, measuring, uh, the electrical activity of rods and cones. And in his study, he had to employ those, those methods and those techniques. And in that study, he showed that taking high doses of vitamin A palmitate, and the reason we say palmitate, because that, that is what he used in the study, and nobody knows if the other conjugates of vitamin A might be just as, as effective. They, they, probably are, but nobody has repeated that study with a different conjugate. Um, but he showed that high doses of vitamin A palmitate, I think it was 25,000 units, uh, did slow the progression of retinitis pigmentosa over about a five-year period of time. He also, uh, in that same study, uh, suggested that vitamin E may be detrimental to uh, patients. And subsequently, there's been some studies on omega-3 fatty acids in retinitis pigmentosa patients that seems to show some benefit. So at this point in time, then, uh, uh, retina specialists, they still do recommend uh, vitamin A palmitate for many of their patients with RP? Yeah, yeah, it's hard to find. And the other the other issue is because it's such high, well, there's several issues with high doses of vitamin A, vitamin A, whether it's palmitate or, or, or gluconate or whichever other conjugate. Um, you can run into some uh, liver toxicity with it, and so they have to be monitored uh, for liver enzymes periodically. And also, if they're uh, a woman of childbearing age or might get pregnant, uh, that high a dose of vitamin A uh, is thought to possibly be a teratogen and could cause uh, some birth defects as well. So there's some, you know, it's a it's a serious uh, it's a serious dose of vitamin A. Yeah, and I think that a lot of our listeners. I think that uh, many of us, we often just assume because vitamins are available over the counter, and you'll see dosages of vitamin A, 25,000 international units readily available. You get it at, uh, you know, Rite Aid or wherever very easily. But when you're taking these types of vitamins or you're taking them in combination or the incorrect dosage, it truly can cause severe damage to your body. And would you briefly explain the significance of these what are called fat-soluble vitamins, such as vitamin A and vitamin E, uh, and why why they're so dangerous, why they can be so dangerous. <laughs> well, uh, the biochemistry on why they're dangerous, you know, they're fat-soluble, which means they're insoluble in water, so they accumulate in your body. And they accumulate in fatty tissues in your body, such as your adipose tissue, your fat, and liver. And uh, the brain is uh, a lot of fat. Uh, <laughs> myelin uh, that uh, surrounds the nerves are fat, basically, a type of fat. And, um, you know, back in the early Arctic exploration days, actually, uh, some of the explorers died of vitamin A toxicity by eating polar bear liver. Uh, there have been cases reported of uh, vitamin A toxicity from eating shark liver. Uh, eat too much of this stuff, and it basically causes swelling on the brain. And... Uh, you know, occasionally it can present as papilledema. So, yeah, and your, your point about uh, vitamin A is over, you know, it's over the counter. You know, people can go in and buy it and and use it unsupervised. And it, and just because it's over the counter doesn't mean doesn't mean it's totally safe. Um, and you know, and it's it's a concern. Um, you know, vitamin E, as we mentioned earlier, does have, if you take over 400 units um, a day is associated with increased risk of sudden cardiac death. Um, the mechanism behind that, nobody's actually proven yet. Um, the other fat-soluble vitamin is D, but I haven't, I'm not aware and I have not heard of any any major issues of vitamin D toxicity, uh, at least that relate to the eye. Now, with a lot of folks who do have uh, diabetes, they often have difficulties with poor circulation their blood doesn't circulate through their body well. They often feel cold. They may have tingling in their feet due to the neuropathy. 
And it also, you know, affects their eyes, the retina as well. And are there any research, uh, scientific research that does identify particular vitamins and nutritional supplements that are equally effective for people with diabetic retinopathy as is the AREDS for macular degeneration? Um, there, there was a, uh, as I recall, a study, I want to say two years ago, so it was probably more like four years ago, that suggested that the AREDS formula alone may be beneficial in diabetic retinopathy as well. Um, again, it's one of the, it's like the WAX study. It's not it's something that I hear discussed commonly, and I don't hear other retina physicians putting their diabetics on AREDS vitamins commonly. Uh, but in my view, it's not a bad idea. Um, oh, while we're, how much more time do we have, Bill? I think we have about 15 minutes, Dr. Small. I wanted to, I wanted to bring up something that's interesting, um, relating to all this. And there was a recent publication, uh, by Carl O, who was a fellow under me at Duke way back when. He's in Nashville, Tennessee now, looking at, um, uh, pharmacogenomics. Um, there are uh, several companies that are basically run CLIA certified labs that can test for polymorphisms that increase or decrease one's risk for developing advanced macular degeneration uh, and looking at uh, several of the major genes involved. And uh, Carl O with, with uh, the macular risk company people uh, did a study using a thousand of the AREDS subjects with the AREDS, uh, they got DNA, they got blood on about a thousand of those subjects. And, um, been, they've been looking at, um, the genetics of these patients and see how that relates to, to the AREDS supplements. And actually, Emily Chu at NEI has already looked at that with, with, you know, the AREDS population with the AREDS supplements and found no particular genotype associated with good responder versus bad responder. Somewhere along the line, the macular risk people thought that zinc might be an issue. And so they broke out those taking zinc, those not taking zinc, and those taking antioxidants, and those not taking antioxidants with the genotype. And they found that uh, patients who have no um, risk polymorphisms and complement factor H, CFH, and two risk, basically deletions in the ARMS2 gene, uh, did better if they took zinc alone and no antioxidants. And then they found the reverse to be true for patients who had two polymorphisms, poly, risk polymorphisms in the complement factor H and, and no deletions in the ARMS2. They found that those, the patients that did the best with that took antioxidants alone and no zinc. Uh, this study is, is, um, it basically kind of brings up an issue of, of, uh, uh, personalized medicine and that perhaps we should be, well, one, this study needs to be corroborated independently, but it's, it's a fascinating little study. Well, it's not that little. It's a thousand subjects. It was, you know, pretty well done study, but very complex statistics and it needs to be independently verified. If this data holds out, then what this is telling us is that we probably need to be doing uh, genotyping on these on all of our AMD patients, determine what their risk is, what their risk alleles are, and from that determine which supplements they should be on. And how how um, easily is that performed to be able to take a, a genotype of every patient? Would would that be something that could be done in your office, or would these patients yeah. have to go to a hospital? Oh no, it's very easy. It's a cheek swab. Mm-hmm. So yeah, basically you get get the little kit. Uh, the two major companies I'm aware of at the moment is one is Macular Risk and the other one's Sequinom. And um, you can get their little packets, their little kits. It's a little cheek swab. It's like a little toothbrush, and you just brush the cheek. You stick it in an envelope. The hardest part is making sure the paperwork is filled out properly, <laughs> and you stick it in the mail, and, and you get the results back usually in about four or five weeks. And is that covered by Medicare for uh, the patient? It, it is as long as you have a diagnosis. Oh, that's nice. That's which nice. basically can range from you know Drew's into dry AMD to wet AMD to you know you got to have you got to have a reasonable you, you know if you check normal Medicare doesn't pay for anything that's normal. Yeah. Right. 
And but so, this would be something that's also applicable if you have a patient who has a juvenile macular degeneration with Stargardt's or they have Lieber's um, retinitis pigmentosa. Can uh, do you routinely have these types of uh, gene testing performed on all of these patients of yours? Well, uh, this type, this gene test does not apply to Stargardt's directly because I mean Stargardt's is the ABCA1 gene. And that is not in the one of the genes that's tested in this panel. Okay. Um, or in order to uh, apply to LCA, Labor's congenital amaurosis. Uh, uh, those are different. Those are different testing mechanisms. Those tests you can uh, either get them through the NEI, through iGene, which is a program. It's done under a research protocol. You have the patient sign a research consent, and it's blood. You draw the blood yourself in the office, and and mail it into them. You know, because it's a research protocol, you may get results back in two months or two years or, you know, oh. or not. Uh, that's the eye gene. The other, the other lab that I've used a fair amount is uh, the Carver Lab at University of Iowa. And, um, they have a pretty good turnaround and they look, they look specific. They're very, very interested in labors, for one. Uh, and they're, and very interested in Stargardt's as well. So they, they will sequence. Stargardt's gene is, is 51 exons. So it's a very laborious and difficult gene. It has a lot of polymorphisms. And so it's a difficult gene to sequence and a difficult gene to analyze even after you've sequenced it. So there's some issues with that. Um, and the Carver Lab, I think they, if I, for Stargardt's, I think they charge, but I think it's like $250 or something. It's not, it's not outrageous. But the um, point of this is by identifying uh, the genetic uh, uh, code or, or the abnormality for that particular patient, you can more precisely recommend the appropriate vitamin supplement. If this study by Carl O with macular risk, uh, you know, is, is independently corroborated, the answer to that question would be yes. Now, what is it uh, about the vitamin B6 and the B12 and folic acid? What do those particular vitamins do? Are they uh, what are called antioxidants or why is it that they are helpful for both people with macular degeneration, as well as diabetic retinopathy? Uh, we don't know. I don't know. <laughs> you know, you know it's it an is. observation. You know, it's basically an observation that, that was made in an epidemiological study. And so epidemiological studies, and, and basically AREDS as well, is, is somewhat of an epidemiological study in that it, it doesn't really import, it, it doesn't uh, say cause and effect, it just shows you the association. You know, I think the other thing that every uh, person on the call who's listening also has to remember, when uh, Dr. Small does talk about the vitamin Bs, sometimes we just remember B, uh, but there's different types of vitamin B. There could be vitamin B3, B6, B12. And uh, I also recall having a patient who, who was trying to help themselves with their vision, and they understood how... Uh, vitamin B3, also known as uh, niacin, could help to improve uh, circulation of blood. You know, when you take vitamin B3 or niacin, you become very flush and you feel very warm. And this person with diabetes felt that it was very helpful, but he took so much of the vitamin B3 that he had uh, macular edema. Is, mm. is that something that's quite common with vitamin B3? Um, I personally, I've seen cases of it presented at meetings. I have personally never seen a patient uh, with macular edema from niacin. Uh, but, yeah, it's been reported and published. Um, but, they, yeah, it just shows you, again, and niacin is over-the-counter, um, how something over-the-counter can be dangerous. And that's why whenever you take a medical history on a patient, I think it's important not just to ask them what medicines are they on because then they go to their their list of prescription medicines, but you want to know everything that they're taking. You know, and also, Dr. Small, I often see so many patients, and they're they're desperate. It, it's understandable that they're desperate to try to do something to improve their vision, and people, they try vitamins, and if the vitamins don't restore their vision, they often come and they ask the next question, should they go to see a doctor for intravenous vitamin therapy or intravenous chelation therapy. Can you talk about if there has been any scientific studies that show intravenous vitamin therapy or intravenous chelation therapy 
having an effect on reversing the vision loss? Uh, I'm not aware of any well-done studies that uh, show any benefit of those. Are you? Have you heard of some? Absolutely no. And, you know, when I talk about people who are desperate, I'm that person. <laughs> I went. <laughs> no, I know. I, I know. <laughs> I went, and I went for intravenous vitamin therapy, intravenous chelation therapy, and I I know it's not my imagination because I was really monitoring my vision very carefully with a visual acuity chart and also with a contrast sensitivity chart. And after each treatment, my my vision was worse. Oh, it was worse. And after after three treatments, I said, you know what? This is not a coincidence. It's not my mind thinking it's worse, but it it, it has uh, become worse. So I, I I do not recommend anybody go through intravenous vitamin or chelation therapy unless uh, they they have spoken with their doctors about that and it's really been scrutinized, you know, uh, both ends. Now, what about just eating, though? Uh, is it possible, can a person actually eat the appropriate foods? We know that the dark green leafy vegetables and having fruits, cantaloupe and nuts and berries and having fish with the omega-3s and such, all those things are good for us. But is it actual realistic to expect that one can consume that much of healthy foods to be equivalent to what one would take if they're taking the the vitamin? Um, Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, scientifically and mathematically, it's it's impossible to eat enough um, of these supplements and food. And, and, you know, I mean, you'd be eating all day long. um, So you can't can't physically do that. But it's interesting, in the AREDS-2 trial, they actually looked at and were able to uh, document uh, patients eating habits, as, particularly as far as dark green leafy vegetables and fish. And they, they ranked them in the different quintiles. Um, and they found that uh, the patients or the subjects that benefited the most from taking the omega-3 fatty acids were the patients who ate the least amount of fish. And, and the patients who ate the most fish or the subjects that ate the most fish in the AREDS-2 trial were the ones that benefited the least from taking supplemental omega-3 fatty acids which suggests that there's something in the fish that is obviously good for you, even a little bit beyond that of the omega-3 uh, ah, supplement. Interesting. So, yeah, it, you know, it, it, diet is important. Uh, yeah. You can't just uh, eat a, you know, a fatty, greasy diet and take these supplements and expect that to cure all your sins. Um, yeah, diet is important. Yeah, and I'll never forget the time. This was, I think it may have been in the 1990s, and I saw uh, actually one of your patients, and one of your patients, she she just loved you. She just loved you so much, and you helped improve her vision so much. She had macular degeneration, and I was just shocked that her vision had improved so much. She was 20 over 200, and after she had been seeing you, then her vision had improved to about 20, 50, and I said, I cannot believe how much your vision has improved. And she said, you know, I do everything that Dr. Small has told me to do, and he has performed treatments on me, but I think it's the spinach he has told me to eat. I buy a case of spinach at Costco every week. And can you tell everybody, is that truth? Is that fallacy? Or is there anything to the fact that spinach help the eyes? Well, I, I think eating spinach, I mean, I tell my patients, uh, according to the old study from uh, Joanna Seddon from like 20-some-odd years ago, to eat spinach or dark green leafy vegetables five times a week, um, which is a lot. Um, I, I can't honestly say that I ever attributed an improvement in vision to it, um, but it kind of brings up your point where I thought you were going earlier with with the question was, you know, one of the things I see frequently is patients are on these vitamins. And, you know, over the years, they're continuing to get worse, as as is what happens with macular degeneration on average. And they think that the vitamins aren't doing them any good, so they stop them. Um, and then I have to give, sit them down and give them a little lecture about, you know, yeah, your vision would be worse now had you not been doing it. And it's hard to appreciate 
it's hard to appreciate when a drug or a treatment is slowing progression of a of a progressive disease. You know, patients don't know what they'd be like had they not done it. Yeah. So it's it's hard to motivate people to stay on these regimens sometimes. That is so true. But what I think everybody who's listening tonight has to remember that what is good for your eyes is good for your body if you're taking it in the appropriate recommended dosages. Oh, these, absolutely. Yeah. These foods, these vitamins, uh, supplements, they, they keep your, your, your arteries clear. They keep your heart healthy. They're good for your brain. Uh, so all in all, I think that they're very, very good. And uh, if you guys ever get a chance to meet Dr. Small, you'll realize that, you know, he is a very, very physically fit man who races all of these young people in swimming, and he wipes them out. He's he's the bionic doctor. <laughs> so, I wouldn't say I wipe them out. <laughs> but let's go ahead, Dr. Small. Uh, first of all, before that we open up to questions, would you mind sharing your contact information if any of the people who are listening are interested in talking to you about your source of that vitamin cocktail that's all-in-one, which uh, can be helpful for people with both macular degeneration and diabetes. Do you have a contact info that you're comfortable with sharing? Uh, yeah, well, my email is always good, uh, Kent, okay. which is Kent Small, K-E-N-T-S-M-A-L-L, at hotmail.com. Great, thank you. And uh, if anybody wants to make an appointment or anything like that, they could just send you email. And some yeah. of our listeners, they don't have email. Is there a telephone number to your office? Sure. Uh, 310-659-2200. Okay, 310-659-2200. And is that, that's a Los Angeles or? Yeah, that's Los Angeles. Okay, great, great. Okay, you have time for a couple of questions. I really appreciate your your time and all of your information that you're sharing with us. Can you take a couple of calls, questioners, questions from the callers? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Yes, if any of you have a question that you'd like to ask Dr. Small about nutrition and vitamins and your vision, uh, go ahead and press star six to mute your name. Uh, you could announce your name and ask him the question. Uh, or you could just simply ask a question. Oh, I, I'd like to also, I have two other uh, credentials that you, you, you haven't mentioned yet. Oh, I'd like to hear those. Yeah, yeah. One, one is my wife is a registered dietitian. Oh, we should have brought her on the call. Yeah, we should, yeah right? I know. We should have had her here. Um, oh. And we, we've actually been working on a, on a, a, a cookbook for uh, macular degeneration patients on basically ways to make spinach taste better. Oh, wow. Fundam fundamentally what it's all about. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, yeah, you got to let me know when that's ready, and then I I, I will have her on the show. I, yeah. Everybody wants to know how to cook healthy. And then, uh, and then my other my other credential, which which we didn't bring up earlier, is I'm I'm the uh, proud father of a third year optometry student at Berkeley. <laughs> that is wonderful. That is wonderful. I I you know I can't believe that she's already in her third year. You know, I know, smart young woman. That's wonderful. Okay, does anybody have a question for Dr. Kent Small? Go ahead and press yes. R6. I'm yeah, sure. this is Kathy Lyons. Hi, Kathy. And I live in Buffalo, New York, and I am one of three female siblings who has gyrate atrophy. Oh, wow. Okay. We were told that a low-protein diet would retard the progression. Right. And so for quite some time, I was very arduous in watching what I ate. In fact, um, for lunch, I would have a tomato sandwich and save my protein intake for dinner. And about two years ago, whatever it is that made my vision look like I was viewing the world through the bathroom window, whatever that is, whether it's a floater or who knows what, whatever it is, my vision got so poor that I thought, nah, I'm going to eat all the protein I want. So I just was wondering if you knew or had heard or whatever, um, had any information about gyroid atrophy and low protein. Yeah, I, um, 
Gyrate atrophy has been one of the few retinal degenerations where we've known the gene defect for, for quite a while. <clears throat> and it's always been said a low-protein diet that's low in arginine can can be beneficial in slowing the progression. Um, that's hard to do. You know, it's really hard to do. Um, but there are studies out there that suggest that it does help. Um it kind of reminds me when I was diagnosed with uh, high cholesterol. I went on a strict low cholesterol diet, <clears throat> made myself pretty miserable, and I also made people, everybody around me, pretty miserable too, because I would <laughs> analyze their food for them in the cafeteria. This was back when I was a resident, and after a while, I decided, well, you know, I it, it only dropped my cholesterol by by ten points, and it wasn't worth it. So I went back and started enjoying what I ate and just took Provacol. Unfortunately, with gyrate atrophy, there is, there's no Provacol equivalent that you can do right now. Um, there are some uh, uh, gene therapy protocols that are uh, getting underway for gyrate atrophy. And David Valley at, at Johns Hopkins has been one of the major movers and shakers in this, in this field. Um, I haven't heard anything recent about uh, what they're doing, though. His name is David Valley? Yeah, V-A-L-L-E. Mm-hmm. Like the I first. find that they people know a lot about the eye condition, but know virtually no nothing about the rest of the body. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no. I think that might be a, a good person just to contact and to inquire about any of the trials that they may be doing, Kathy. Yes, I think so. Thank you. Can you Stuart, question? I can't. Yeah. Uh, uh, any research regarding vitamin C supplements affecting vision? Well, uh, specifically, no. I mean, C is part of AREDS 1, it's part of AREDS 2. If you're asking, do we know, have they dissected out how much benefits in that cocktail C is to the whole picture, uh, I've not seen any studies uh, documenting that. Why, why do you ask? Because that's the one supplement I take every day, 500 oh. milligrams. I've been doing it for about 20 years. I think it's keeping much healthier in terms of infections and so forth, but uh, that's why I asked. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, uh, there's, there's other than the ARED data, which C is part of, there's no other uh, independent documentation that I'm aware of for the eye anyway. Thank you. Thank you. Next question for Dr. Small. Yeah, I had a question. Thank you. Uh, my name is Kristen McPeak. I'm out of Buffalo, New York. Uh, Kathy and I are actually um, from the same city. Um, I had a question. My question is, um, I have, uh, actually, I have LCA. Wow. And, yeah. <laughs> and uh, I've actually been working um, with the um, uh, foundation for... Um, Fighting blindness. Well, that's one of them, but um, I've actually been working for uh, that. Well, I've heard of that one, but I've actually been working for, uh, alongside the uh, Foundation for Retinal Research. Okay. And um, what one of my questions is is because I've had uh, LCA since I've been born, and obviously um, my uh, my dad obviously was told this, and because my mom, uh, she had taken, you know, she had a couple of uh, very low alcoholic uh, beverages, very low alcoholic beers, during her pregnancy with me, and um, the pediatrician decided to tell my parents that my eye condition was caused due to that, which all these years yeah, that's... my mom thought that that she was the cause of my eye condition. Oh, right. So that's she awful. was, oh, oh yeah, guilty, terrible. Yeah, yeah that, so that guess not... what? She yeah. was afraid to have another child <clears throat> because of that. Wow. So all these years I never got to have another sibling because she was afraid to have another child. So, therefore, all these years, I went and tried to find the cause of my condition. Well, mm -hmm. my question is, is there any nutritional 
supplement or is there any diet um, that can help the that can help LCA or other than you know RP or you know. Yeah, the, the, the short answer is there's none that I'm aware of that have been studied and demonstrated to be of any effect. I think most of us uh, retina specialists in this situation recommend the AREDs and extrapolate for LCA and other retinal degenerations, uh, mm-hmm. kind of at a, at a loss of what else to do. Uh, but there's there's no good study showing that diet plays a major role. You know, LCA, LC, I mean, uh, there are several... Uh, variations of LCA, and uh, I mean the mutations, the genes are, are pretty well documented in most of them now. Um, and depending on which which gene it is, um, there are gene therapy protocols in place right now for LCA. That's what I heard. That's why yeah. we're actually trying to find mine. There, we're actually doing a fundraiser. Uh, the foundation and I are doing a fundraiser in my behalf to so, so that I can actually get my blood tested. Oh, that's and, great. Yeah. Can you, can you just tell me, and for everybody here, uh, what is the cost for you to have your gene testing for? Dr. Small, is that the RPE65? That's one of them, yeah. Yeah, that is one of them. I heard that RPE65 is one. Um, there is... I mean, that, that's the um, big one because that's the one that the gene therapy protocols have been ongoing at, uh, yes. at Penn for a while. With, with yep. good results, too. Very good results, I might add. That's what I heard. I saw that. I, w- I went online and I saw that, and I heard very good results with that one, and I'm hoping that's the one I have because, surprisingly enough, when I was born... And I was shocked. My mom was even impressed. But um, although my vision is blurry now, um, I can still see quite a bit. You know, my, my peripheral vision is still pretty good, even though my vision is fairly blurry now. Well, that's um, no, that, that's that's encouraging. But real quickly, what is the uh, amount that you're trying to fundraise and I would, I would like to try 25, to. 25, we're trying to raise about a total of, uh, they were, they're looking to raise 2,500. Okay. Um, uh-huh. they told uh-huh. me that I could send it to any lab I wanted to. Okay. And I belong to the LCA listserv. And, um, I heard from a set of parents that actually both have the condition. Okay. You know, um, in the interest of time, uh, we're mm-hmm. almost finished, but uh, can you stay on the line, or if you have a oh, contact, sure. can you leave a contact information here? If there's anybody who who may want to help you with this, I I would like to help you. Uh, do you have a email address or something that mm-hmm. we could contact you? Uh-huh. Yeah. Go ahead, real quickly. Uh, my email is k macpeak. That's my first initial k macpeak m a. C is in Charlie, P is in Peter, E E K at uh-huh. Verizon V E R I Z O N dot net. Okay, thank you. Good luck to you, and uh, um, I, I'm going to contact you. I'd like to get some help for you. Okay, yeah, okay. As a, as a starting point, I would I would contact NEI. And mm-hmm. have blood sent there under a research, you know, under the research protocol. Oh, uh, right. The second place would be Ed Stone at University of Iowa in the Carver Lab. And it, with the NEI National Eye Institute, Dr. Small, would that also be a $2,500 fee? Well, no, that'd be free. Oh, well, you gotta look at that then. It just, oh, you just you don't know exactly, you don't know when you're gonna get your results back. You know, yeah. So it's under a research protocol rather than a CLIA certified lab, but I would still, I would still strongly encourage you to, to uh, contact NEI. Okay. Oh, that's great information. Thank okay, you. we have we have time for one more question, Doctor Small. Hi, this is Elsa, and I just wanted to comment real quick. I also have LCA. I was born with it myself, and I just wanted to mention that the information I just heard was quite helpful. Oh, that's great. That's great. And have you began the uh, the search of your gene? I have not, actually, and so I'm glad I'm on this call today. 
Okay, great. So, uh, Dr. Small, how does one contact the NEI like that? I would imagine it's a large organization. Would one just simply go to NEI.org? Is it a website like that, or do you know off the top of your head? Yeah, it's uh, uh, www.nei.nih.gov. And then in there is the, um, I'm looking for it right now, is the iGene program where you can uh, send in blood samples. You know, I can, I send, uh, you know, for patients with um, X-linked retinoschisis and some other things and whatever, you know, I, and they actually have corneal genetics and all, all kinds of other genetic studies going on. Um, wow, that's there. And great. It's, all, it's free. Yeah, there's a lot of paperwork, as as is true for every governmental uh, agency and whatever. But uh, but uh, it's a good program. It's a good starting place, and it's free. Wow, that's great. That is really really great news. Well, I want to thank you again, Doctor Small. This is very very helpful. And uh, next time we're going to ask uh, your wife to be on the show so she can <laughs> give us some more about these recipes. And again, Doctor Small can be contacted at Kent Small. K-E-N-T-S-M-A-L-L at hotmail.net. Uh, dot com. Oh, hotmail.com. Okay. And, uh, again, your phone number one more time, please. Yeah, 310-659-2200. Great. Well, we thank you very, very much for your time, all of this information, and we hope to have you back on the show soon. And I want to thank all of you listeners out there for joining in this evening. Uh, this will be up at the CCLVI webpage at www.cclvi.org and also uh, along with many, many, many other podcasts at www.airsla.org. And this will also be on ACB Radio on uh, Friday and Saturdays. So, again, thank you very much for attending, and we hope to see you all again next month. Good night, everybody.